Joining me now for the um, last talk in this third session of the day and before we have uh, an afternoon tea break is Taylor Black. Um, Taylor's going to be talking to us about um, becoming a change agent, uh, change and, and innovation um, and how that relates to our work and, and what we do. Hello. <clears throat> Thank Hello. you. Welcome. Thank you so much. I hope everyone's having a great time so far. Oh my God, so many great talks today. <laughs> awesome. So thank you so much for that introduction and to UX Australia more broadly. This is an awesome conference and I am very honored to be a part of. To everyone joining us today, uh, no matter where you're joining from, and also to all of the previous speakers, I think that we're really lucky with this year's lineup and there's a lot of awesome content going around. So I hope everyone's taking lots of notes and just soaking it all in. So again, welcome to today. Uh, very excited to be here for UX Australia Design Research Conference 2022. My name is Taylor Black and I am the Strategic Design Lead and Founder at Taylor Black Studios. Today is a topic about becoming an agent of change and innovation, a topic that is a bit rebellious and something that I am very passionate about. Now, before we dive in, I will go ahead and warn you that in this last part of the talk, I will turn it into an interactive activity. So if you have a piece of paper and a pin around you where you can jot down some notes um, and engage with the session in that way, then go ahead and grab those. You don't need them quite yet, but you will later. All right, let's get started. So my name is <laughs> Taylor Black, as I've already said. My background is a bit winding and varied, as you'll see depicted in this illustration. So I began my career as a sustainability engineer, and I just totally fell in love with the human-centered design world, so much so that I changed careers. Over the years, I've moved through customer experience, employee experience, service design, and design research roles embedded within all of those, all of those, to end up where I am now, which, by the way, happens to be on the totally other side of the world from where I started. I'm originally from Texas in the US. I'm now in Melbourne, Australia. And later this year, we will be in Amsterdam. Very exciting. Now from this, you might have gathered that I have a pretty unconventional background. Um, I have a bit of a weird mixed accent. <laughs> don't quite fit in with the Australians, don't quite fit in with the Americans. Um, I've pushed through a lot of barriers and I've had a lot of people tell me to just sit back down, do what I'm told, and stop challenging the status quo. A lot of people, even those who were well-meaning, projecting their lives onto mine and assuming what was best based on their own levels of comfort, confidence, and risk, which wasn't necessarily mine. Following the status quo has never really been my style, as you may have seen, or if you've worked with me in the past, then you would have seen it there too. That can be ostracizing and uncomfortable. Chasing something different can get you weird looks, people who don't quite understand or agree with your vision. And while part of your job is to communicate that vision, a very important part of your job, part of it, especially for your mental health throughout the journey, <laughs> is to accept that the nature of challenging the status quo is that it's going to be hard, it's going to take grit, and not everyone will be a fan. And that's okay. Because boy, is it worth it. Looking over the last decade or so, nonconformity is on the rise, particularly now more than ever. 
So a few years ago, we started seeing a few headlines pop up. We saw art beginning to shift. We saw books that were idolizing rebels. We saw people showing pride in doing things differently, whether that was working in their home life, in their hobbies, in whatever it was, whatever way people wanted to show or just to do things differently. And that was really exciting. And it turned into leadership programs and conferences and political cartoons and art and festivals. And over time, that has just grown and grown. And we've seen within all of these spaces and niches, these different leaders are popping up and idolized innovators in the world, whether it be in business, design, digital, or social impact, are being called out where they're doing things differently and it's working. So again, this has really just been increasing more and more. You know, we're seeing street art just this year or end of last year, pause awards uh, in the Melbourne area in Australia. They had a couple of awards uh, specifically dedicated, dedicated towards those who were breaking boundaries becoming innovators, doing new things. There are many other examples around the world. And what that has in common is that it's framing nonconformity as a precursor to innovation. So whenever we talk about social nonconformity, what we mean is when a person is behaving or acting in a way that goes against the status quo, the norm or tradition of society. Now, this could be as small as facing the other way in an elevator. Everyone is facing forward and you turn around and people are like, what are they doing? What idea do they have? Why are they doing this? It causes intrigue. It's curiosity, right? It's probably also going to bring judgment like, oh, that, that guy or that girl, um, that's a bit weird, right? But it, it brings curiosity and it could scale all the way up to the way a government policy is implemented to a major project, to an entire culture, what have you. Now, there are some really noteworthy benefits of doing things differently. One of them is that it signals confidence and authenticity. So whenever you are a nonconformist, you are unapologetically you. Whenever you are going after something that's different, you have a vision, an idea, a dream, a goal that is not following the traditional path, the normality of the way things have always been done, you're really putting yourself in the line of fire. And that takes a lot of courage, but it also shows people that you're not afraid to stand up for what you believe in, which is really admirable. And there is a pretty famous example that I like to draw upon, which is when Mark Zuckerberg wore a casual hoodie to an investor meeting. And the way the story goes is that, you know, he walked into the meeting wearing this hoodie. Everyone else is wearing suits. They're all immediately offended. What is this guy doing? Does he not take us seriously? Does he not know how much we could invest? And throughout the meeting, as he's sharing his idea and he's showing a lot of passion and dedication, the mindset changes into, oh no, actually this guy is just really authentically him. And it might be different from us, but he's gonna put everything he has behind this idea and we believe in that. So he got that investment in the end. Another benefit is that it leads to an increase in competence and status. And that's a little bit around the sink or swim theory. So whenever you're doing things differently, because you're really putting yourself out there, then you really have to try hard and you really have to know your stuff. And 
it doesn't necessarily mean you have to know it all at once, but it means that you at least need to learn it along the way. And this, this is particularly true whenever nonconformity is associated with intention and deliberateness. You're not just accidentally stumbling into doing things differently. You're doing them with intent because you believe in them. And the last one is that it enhances individuality and intrinsic motivation, which we know from behavioral design theories and self-determination theory that standing up for what you believe in increases feelings of self-direction, autonomy, and satisfaction, which as humans, particularly in today's day and age where most of us can get the food we need, the shelter we need, you know, a lot of the people who I would be speaking to in this group you can cater for those basic needs, but beyond that, you're really looking for more fulfillment to feel like you have control over the work that you do, that you have influence over the direction, um, and that you ultimately feel satisfied in what you're working towards. Now, as exciting as all of this sounds, it is at odds with the traditional way of thinking, with the way that we as humans have evolved to conform for fitting in with communities and for survival way back when, even though that's not needed now in the same way. So the instinct to conform is at odds with the rise of nonconformity that we've been talking about so far, making it difficult and uncomfortable for most. And I know that we all would have seen this in organizations that we've either worked in or worked with potentially even with older generations within our own families who are struggling to come to terms with the way the world has changed, those sorts of examples. So right now I wanna dig into the psychology behind conformity. So where does that actually come from and where does it fit in within this kind of psychological web? And conformity falls under the umbrella of social influence which is the influence that others have on our attitudes, opinions, and behaviors. So the way that other people around us, whether explicitly or inexplicitly, directly or indirectly, impact what we do, the directions that we take, the decisions that we make, how we feel about particular things, whether we succumb to peer pressure, um, you know, what do we think is a good idea, what a bad idea might be, and what do we even think of other people? Within that umbrella, there is conformity, starting at the left, which is aligning one's attitude, opinion, or behavior to those of others. Excuse me. So that's whenever you have a group who believes one thing and you say, you know what, I, I trust this group. I think they probably know what they're talking about. I think this might be a good idea. I'm gonna take their word for it. I'm gonna conform. I'm just gonna do what the group is doing because maybe I don't want the attention or I'm not sure what else I would do. The second one is reactance. This is deliberately adopting or voicing a view contrary to that of others. So you are intentionally coming out with a different idea, a different way of having a lifestyle, of doing your work, of whatever it may be. And within this, includes nonconformity, what we are talking about today. The third one is persuasion. So changing one's view based on the appeals or reason, appeals to reason or emotion. So <clears throat> either persuading someone else or you being persuaded to think in a particular way based on some sort of logical argument or rationale. And the last one is minority influence. 
when an individual or a small group influences a much larger group. So an example of this could be the Greta Thunbergs of the world. One young girl has managed to influence an entire raft of politicians, of those working in climate, of those working in energy sectors, a huge group of people. Most of you would know, if not all of you would know who she is and what she stands for. And seeing that, letting it inspire us, maybe using some of those examples in what we voice for sustainability, what have you, that's all a massive level of scale that all started with this one girl in Sweden having this protest for climate. And now look at the way it's scaled. So that's an example of just one small thing influencing a much larger thing. So the mere presence of peers, just someone being around in the room can impact brain activity and leads to changes in, changes in risk-taking and trust decisions. So the way that you would act whenever other people are in the room is not the way that you would necessarily act whenever you are by yourself. Furthermore, in the ASH experiments on nonconformity, which is a very famous set of experiments happening many years ago, it was found that individuals agree with majorities even under conditions where the majority favors an obviously incorrect option. So you can have a group of people saying, I think the best thing to do today is to jump off a cliff. And you can have everyone in that group questioning that belief. But until someone actually says something to break the ice, to demonstrate another way of doing things or to show a new rationale, then everyone will just go along with it, totally unknown to how everyone else in the group is also doubting it, but you believe the group no matter how fragile that group belief is, which is good for the nonconformist <laughs> whenever you call, are calling something out. And the more fragile that belief is, the easier it is to bring people over to your way of thinking. So I just think that those last couple of statements are crazy, you know, going along with the group, even for an obviously incorrect option or whatever it may be. So I would love it if at this point, the group could just warm up their fingers as we have a few interaction points between within the session and drop in the chat if you have any personal experiences or examples in your own work where you have either seen conformity arise or non-conformity arise. And these could be any kind of example from small to big. And then we can come back to it and talk about it at the end if anyone wants to. All right. So not all non-conformity is created equal. Some expressions of non-conformity are productive and some are counterproductive to societal impact, well-being, and evolution. So before we get into, I suppose, methods for those who do want to challenge the status quo, first let's clarify who we're talking about. And there are a few different expressions of nonconformity. One of them, starting over on the left, is inconsiderate or harmful behavior. And again, these can all scale and in some ways overlap. So this could be as small as just being a bit rude, talking in a movie or doing something that just... It's not what other people would do, you know, cutting in line 
or doing something where it's like, oh, well, that's that's a bit rude. He's doing something different, but I, it's just a bit of a niggle all the way up to something really harmful or violent, like committing a crime. And that's not what we're talking about today, but it is technically a form of nonconformity. The middle one is what we're mostly talking about today. So this is styles that might be judged or ostracized by others, but they don't cause harm. So this could just be someone who maybe they have a design process that's a little different or their facilitation style is a little bit different, something you haven't seen before. Maybe they dress differently or have a weird hairstyle. It's just their style, but it's not actually harming you. You might find it a bit weird, but it's not harming you. And then the third one is belief-based rebellion for justice. So this includes rallies, protests, social movements, anything where people are standing up for what they believe in because it has some moral justification or they feel some moral obligation to stand up for it. So some organizations in the design world can overlap in this space. So for example, people who work specifically with sustainability clients or not-for-profit or social enterprises, they have their way of designing, which might be a little different and that would fall in the center column, but then they are specifically working with types of clients or types of projects because they believe that that is the morally or ethically right thing to do. So I am excited to introduce this concept called Principled Insubordination by Todd Cashton. This is a very clever psychologist who is releasing a book this year called The Art of Insubordination, incredibly relevant to what we're talking about today. And he defines principled insubordinates or virtual rebels or productive nonconformists as those who are rebellious and contributing to society. So rebellion contributing to society. Rebels with integrity and ethical standards. So yes, you are doing something differently, but again, it's not harmful and it's not violent and you're doing it because you believe that it has a positive contribution to the collective. That, which differs from on the right-hand side, reckless rebels, destructive disagreement, or even belligerent nonconformists. Reckless rebels act counter to the norm for reasons of impulsion, arrogance, ignorance, entitlement, privilege, attention, grade, etc. So this is not what we're talking about today, but nevertheless, these people absolutely do exist. In the design world, which I know most of you are from, whenever we think about doing something differently for design, we would like to think that it falls into the left-hand column. We're doing it because we believe that it has some sort of positive impact to an organization, to the user or to the customer, or and or potentially also to ourselves and our own um, self-realization in the work that we do. So this is a quote also from Todd's new book. Successful rebellions don't come from a place of ignorance, duress, compulsion, or randomness. There's nothing impressive about being different merely because you are not paying attention. So this comes back to what I was mentioning earlier around standing up for what you believe in or being a nonconformist with intention, not just because you stumbled into it. 
All right, so there are many examples of conformity and non-conformity and many different contexts, industries, you name it. So first of all, let's just look at examples of conformity in the business world. So this can really apply to any sort of workplace that you have all probably experienced. The first one is dress code. So whenever you close your eyes and you think of a corporate office, what are people wearing? Are the men wearing suits? Are the women wearing heels? Are the men wearing ties? Are the women wearing skirts? These are types of conformity within dress code that you would see in a business place. You might expect it. And if there is someone who walks into a bank wearing a neon tracksuit, then they're probably going to get some weird looks especially if they go to be a teller or sit behind the counter. <laughs> now, there's nothing harmful about doing that, but it's definitely not the norm. and It's definitely making a statement. The middle one is socially expected behavior. So these are the expectations that we have around the way that we speak to one another, how formal we need to write in an email, how casual we write in just a chat message, um, the way that we fall into line of the management hierarchy. So if you are in a large company of many thousand employees, and let's say that you are more of a frontline staff, let's say that you work in a call center and you're on the phones and you're in a company with 10,000 employees, then even though you might be able to get a hold of the CEO's email, how comfortable or normal would you think that it is to send the CEO an email or to reach out to him. There might not be anything that's stopping you from a technical side of things, but there would be something that would probably be causing some hesitation from that social conformity things and what you might expect that you should do or you shouldn't do. The third one is processes and procedures. And by the way, um, with the previous example, I have definitely been that person who emails the CEO. And yeah, sometimes you get a laugh, sometimes you get no response, but hey, you've got to put yourself out there, right? <laughs> the third one is processes and procedures. So following familiar or standardized methods and traditional ways of doing business. So this could be maybe an invoicing routine that you might expect. This could be the way that you have manager direct report relationships within a business, different org design concepts, all of the things that happen within a business that you would think are kind of the status quo of process that we need to get things done. Now, there's not necessarily anything wrong with this. This isn't saying that these are all bad. You know, they all have their place in particular scenarios. But it's also to say that there are other ways of doing things. So you might want a combination of these things with a combination of nonconformity. Zooming into conformity and design specifically, given this is a design conference, um, there are a few examples that I have seen in my own work. There are many more examples out there. This is this is just what I've seen. Um, you might have your own. And if you have your own examples that aren't on here, I would love it if you drop that in the chat as well. And we can talk about it. It's great to learn from others and share your experiences. So the first one is people in design who consider themselves um, either knowingly or unknowingly as a purist. And that means that they insist on following a particular method or framework 
placing importance on the traditional or historical establishment or use or production of that method or framework. So this would differ from someone who comes in and they might have a quite varied past and they would pull from a whole bunch of different methodologies and tools and approaches to put together something that is bespoke for most pieces of work. The middle one is coloring inside of the lines. So this would be adhering to either spoken or unspoken expectations of where and how you may contribute and add value. What meetings are you allowed to go to? What meetings are you not allowed to go to? Where are you able to submit ideas? Where are you not able to submit ideas? And again, this can be very nuanced depending on the environment that you're in. And the last one is for not with. So working in those really traditional ways, um, you know, an example is working in a traditional management consulting way where you get a brief and then you go away, you design your pretty thing, and then you come back with a big fat report and place it on the client's desk. And then that's it. <laughs> um, this as opposed to a really inclusive blended team approach where you're having continuous co-design, continuous collaboration, continuous transparency, and transfer or shared ownership of the work. So it's not so much about A to B, where you start and then that polished piece at the end, it's more about the in-between and the relationships that are formed in that way. All right. So doing things differently means that you're paving a new way and you're following your instinct. By definition, there is no map. That's really scary <laughs> and it's really unknown, but it's what you're signing up for when you're becoming an agent of change and innovation, when you're breaking the status quo. And ultimately, that's what's going to help you grow, get you out of your comfort zone and backing yourself for what you believe to be true even when others don't see it and you're getting loads of bad advice. If I had every piece of bad advice turned into a dollar, I would have retired already. You're going to get loads of bad advice, but you have to follow your instinct. And as long as you were following that principled insubordination or the productive conformist or sorry, productive nonconformist, however you want to call it, where you're doing something differently because you genuinely believe it will have a positive impact, then just Keep going, trust yourself, and you'll get there. Although there's no map, there are a few tactics that you can take and a few tips, which I'll go ahead and share now. And then we'll get into our interactive activity. So if you haven't grabbed a piece of paper and a pen, do that now, and then we'll close the session. So tactics. The first one, which by the way, these were also in part inspired by Todd, um, so check out his book, check out the podcast that he's done with the psychology podcast. One of my favorite podcasts. Um, again, that's a psychology podcast. Check it out. Um, and then also my own experiences. So the first one is engage the outrageous. The outrageous is any variant in thinking, attitude, or behavior that are outside of traditional thought. So that could be something as simple as someone walking past you whenever you're going down the street who looks totally different than you, or they're dressed totally different, or maybe they sound totally different. And instead of just saying, oh, that's, that's different and I'm scared of it and I'm gonna go on the other side of the street because I'm uncomfortable, then check yourself 
and look at them openly and think, what can I take in? What can I listen to? What can I really see and respect and hear openly? How can I use this to, you know, make whatever collective idea or opinions, let's say this is a a co-design experience, then maybe you have someone else in the room who looks, sounds, et cetera, totally different than you. How can we actually use this difference to add to the space in between us, which is the problem and ideation space that we are building for whatever piece of work that you're doing? So that leads really well into the second one, which is asking open questions. Open questions are different than closed questions (laughs) um, because they are based in genuine curiosity and they differ from judgment and avoidance. So what I was saying before, if you see someone who looks, sounds, et cetera, different than you, instead of just going to the other side of the street, then be more inclusive, be more welcoming, ask questions, ask questions to understand, not questions to judge or try to categorize people based on your current understanding of the world, which might be different from their understanding of the world or different from the understanding that you come to build together. And the third one is being deliberate and disciplined. So principled insubordination or being a productive nonconformist, again, whatever you want to call it, it takes guts and grit. It is difficult, (laughs) but worth it. So think about how you can strategically sell your message to the mainstream, understanding that as someone who's challenging the status quo, you put yourself into the box of the minority and that it's part of your role to express your message and to gain support from the majority without threatening the majority (laughs) or making them feel threatened. Um, And then think about how you can win allies over time, which is just supporting what I just said. So speaking of that, there are a few ways or methods that you can gain the support of the majority as the minority. And again, I appreciate there's probably a lot of experience in the room. So if anyone has any tips or advice for something that they have done to get support of internal stakeholders or external communities around a particular idea that you have had that may be different from the status quo, I think everyone would love to hear it. So please write that in the chat as well. So what I have proposed here is basically a three-step approach to this. The first one is show that you understand the problem that the majority has through their eyes. So we as designers are really good at putting ourselves in the customer's shoes or putting ourselves in the user's shoes. So this is basically that same approach, except we're doing it with the majority. So expose your understanding of what the problem or the aspiration is through their eyes. Secondly, close the gap between what you have and what they want. So give enough information to spark curiosity, but not so much information for them to think that you're showing them all of your cards and that there's no need for them to come back to you later for more information, for questions, for engagement, whatever it may be that you are looking to provide or interact with. And the third one is give autonomy to the majority so they can interact and find out more in their own way on their own time. So what this means is not shoving your new and different idea down their throat where they feel threatened and afraid and they don't like it and they never give you a chance again. (laughs) Instead, it means placing it in front of them and saying, here's this thing. 
here's this spark of curiosity, some sort of visual compelling taste. This is why I think that it's a great idea. It's going to do a lot of good for your problem or your aspiration. So I'm just going to leave it here and I'm going to let you take a bite when you're ready. So before we move on, um, a really famous example of this is if you go back and watch the Steve Jobs pitch of the new iPhone, and he does this perfectly. So if you go through the flow of that presentation, you'll notice that he starts off with the problem and then he shares how the iPhone is the new, it's the answer to all your problems and all your aspirations. Um, and he just leaves enough information for you to go and find a chat forum or for you to go and look something up or for you to find out more on your own. All right, so a few useful prompts and questions that you can have or use whenever you want to challenge the status quo and you want to either get the thinking going for yourself or maybe with others um, are, are these below. And again, there are many questions out there that can do this. These are just a few that I have used in the past and have found worked well. So, you know, the classic ideation question is what we have in the upper left, putting constraints aside for just a moment, what's the dream state, right? So pull down the constraints, pull down the barriers, just think if anything was possible, what would we wanna do, who would we wanna be, et cetera. Taking a step back, if we shared our approach with, or what if we shared our approach with, um, this can be the combination of different approaches, methodologies, mindsets, etc., from maybe niches within the same industry or completely different industries, you know, what have you. Think about how you can make unconventional pairings to create new value that you have not seen before or that your competitors are not doing or can at least provoke some interesting questions. How can we do things differently or differently here? What's never been done before? And I know that the classic response is, well, everything's been done before, but just put that question to the side. <laughs> um, let's bring X in as co-designers to expand and challenge our thinking. So you're actually inviting more status quo breakers or you are increasing the likelihood that the group in the room can come up with something that challenges the status quo. What might some useful unintended consequences look like? And what if we totally shifted our thinking and tried X? So really trying to not only get people stepping out of the box, but actually just, just break the box altogether. Just rip it up and just try something totally new. Now, breaking the status quo, it starts with thinking, but it's very much about doing, which is exactly what we're going to do now. So for the next few minutes, we're going to run through an exercise. Hopefully you have grabbed a piece of paper and a pen by now. If you don't have physical paper as designers, I'm sure everyone here has a stack of sticky notes. And if you don't, then you at least have your computer or your phone that you're watching this session on. So no excuses. <laughs> All right, so how this is gonna work is I'm gonna show you a few slides, not that many. And on each slide, there are two questions. And you don't have to answer both of them. You can if you want. But the idea is that you just choose one of them and then write down your answer. I'll give you guys a couple minutes for each set of questions where you choose one. And then we'll move on. We talk about it at the end. All right. And framing for as we go into this, 
you can either think about these questions from an individual point of view and the impact, the kind of work, the vision, et cetera, that you have as an individual, or you can think about it from an organizational point of view. So maybe your organization is trying to make a particular impact on your community. It's up to you. All right, set one. Question A, which is really two questions. Don't tell anyone. Um, what are you in this world to do? And what is your purpose or mission and life? So take a step back, take your head out of, you know, what task you have to get done by 5 p.m. today or whatever it is, and just think, looking at my life, what am I here to do? And I know these are big questions, so don't worry about getting it perfect. Just jot down anything you have that comes to mind. And question B that you can choose instead of question A, if you would like, is what would make you the most proud of yourself and or what would make future generations the most proud of you? So I'll give you guys a minute or two to jot down some of your responses and then we'll move on. And we are on to set two. Question A. What do you want the world to look like in 20 years time? And what role could you play in that transition? Or question B, who do you want to be in 20 years time? And who and what do you want surrounding you? So again, just pick one, you can answer both if you like, or you have some extra time, but just start with one. Give you guys another minute or two, then we'll move on. All right, go ahead and wrap up those final thoughts. We're on to set three. We have one more after this one and then we'll wrap it up. Set three, question A, if you ran your own business or maybe you do already, what kind of work would you like to do and potentially who would you like to do it with or who would you like to do it for? And question B, if you had no boundaries, how do you believe that you could make the most fulfilling impact to both yourself and others? So think about what fulfilling impact means for you personally. Think about what it means or what is needed by others, whether that's a particular community, um, whatever scale of community that you are working in. And then think about the Venn diagram in between those two. And that's where you wanna focus. So another minute and a half for this one. And then we will move on. All right, go and wrap up those final thoughts. And we'll move on to our last one. And this one, instead of giving you guys two options to choose from, we're all going to look at the same question, which is based on how you have answered so far, what does breaking the status quo look like in your world? And you can make this as small or big as you like. Try and make it tangible because what we would love is to actually walk away from this session having an idea of what doing things differently, going after what you believe will be impactful and breaking the status quo will look like, and then having a starting place on how you can actually start acting on that. So I'll give you guys another minute and then we will wrap it up and talk through any questions anyone has. Go ahead and wrap that up. Appreciate that question was a bit quicker, but hopefully you also had a bit more clarity given the other ones. So ending this, I just want to leave you guys with speak 
even when your voice is trembling. So you can be terrified because you're doing something different and it's really scary, but it's important to put yourself out there and have the courage to do that anyway. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I love this topic. It's something that I can talk about all day long. In the background, I am working on something really exciting. It's not quite ready to share yet, but go ahead and get a sneak preview by, um, you probably can't click on the screen. After I stop sharing my screen, I'll drop the link in the chat or it's written out in the lower right. So thank you so much. Thanks so much, Taylor. That was wonderful.